This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. It's been nearly two years since Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine. Ukraine's leader says military aid from the U.S., which is currently stalled in Congress, is essential to ending the war. We are counting on this positive decision of the Congress. For us, this package is vital. We must be unwavering and we cannot play political games. That was Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky and Vice President Kamala Harris speaking together at the Munich Security Conference last week. What will it take to end the war in Ukraine? And what does it look like on the front lines of the battlefield two years after Russia's invasion? I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. This message comes from NPR sponsor REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing. Visit your local REI co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways to opt outside. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Amgen, a biotechnology pioneer leading the fight against the world's toughest diseases such as cancer, heart disease, asthma, and osteoporosis. In a new era of human health, Amgen continues to accelerate the pace of change, operating sustainably and drawing upon deep knowledge of science to push beyond what's known today. With each decade, they reliably deliver powerful new therapies to patients. Learn more at Amgen.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Integrative Therapeutics, with vitamins and supplements previously available only through practitioners, including Cortisol Manager. Unlock your best self with clinician-curated supplements from Integrative Therapeutics, now on Amazon. Joining us from Kyiv is NPR foreign correspondent and Ukraine bureau chief, Joanna Kakissis. Joanna, welcome. Thank you for having me. So Russia made some big strategic gains in key eastern Ukrainian towns in recent weeks, and the frontline town of Avdivka fell over the weekend. What does that mean for the trajectory of the war? Well, it's very worrying for Ukrainians because it shows that Russian troops are advancing. Also, this was a city that, uh, Avdivka, a city that the Ukrainians fought for very, very hard. It has been able to repel Russian attacks for 10 years now. Back in 2014, when Russian proxies first invaded the Donetsk province where the city uh, is in and took over parts of that land. They were still able to push push back. They've been able to push back the Russians ever since then, since 2014. And now, now they now they lost the the city. Uh, and it's really um, it's really disheartening. Ukrainians are talking about it everywhere I go. I hear people talking about it in supermarkets and cafes. You know, we were dri- driving around the country doing various interviews over the last week and. The news of Avdivka broke um, just as we were leaving Kharkiv and uh, northeastern Ukraine and, and then Dnipro, which is in central Ukraine. And everybody there was like, what, is this, what does this mean? Is this the beginning of the end? So it's been a, it's been a very disheartening thing for, for Ukrainians to see. But it's strategically, it's also worrying for Ukrainian troops because, again, this is a sign of Russians advancing. They're also advancing in several, uh, on several other points along the front line. And Ukrainian 
Ukrainians don't have the weapons or the armor to fight back, in part because of what you know, you mentioned, the congressional package earlier, in part because they're not getting enough supplies, they don't, they don't have enough ammunition, they don't have enough weapons provided to them by their Western allies. And they can't make enough of their own to, to make up the difference. You recently spoke with Maria Mezenzeva, a member of the Ukrainian parliament, and here's what she said about morale among Ukrainian soldiers. I talk to soldiers and they're like, okay, why we were then lost like hundreds of our friends uh, when we fought for this and that village? If our aim is not to liberate, if we paid such a high price already, we, we just cannot give up. How do these recent Russian gains affect morale on the front lines? Well, it's been terrible for morale. I mean, imagine watching your friends die to try to take back a city or to defend the city and then to lose that city or to lose those gains. You know, you start asking yourself, your battalion starts asking itself and the members in it, why did we, why did we make those sacrifices? Think of the families who lost soldiers and uh, their sons and husbands and daughters who've been fighting on the front line. Um, they're asking themselves too, why, why did we make these sacrifices if they're just going to be rolled back? So morale is very bad. But it's not just the the battlefield losses, and again, Nevdivka is a very big one. It's a it's a it's a very worrisome one for them. Uh, it's because they also see they do not have uh, the firepower to fight back, as I mentioned earlier. That's also been incredibly bad for morale, and they don't see the uh, the Europeans are trying to step up, but they've been very slow in delivering ammunition. But this this extended battle in Congress is making Ukrainians wonder if they can rely on the U.S. Well, just to remind people, the U.S. has provided more than $47 billion in military support to Ukraine since the war began. And this new package of aid to Ukraine, it was passed in the Senate, this foreign aid package. It included $60.7 billion, but that was blocked by the Republican-controlled House, who insisted be tied to a border security package. So with that funding being held up in Congress... How will, is it at all possible for Ukraine to fill those funding gaps while that aid remains stalled in the U.S.? Well, the Europeans provide lots of uh, aid as well, and they can fill some of the gap. You know, some European countries have been stepping up in the next in the last few days, saying, "Well, we'll donate even more than what we promised before, like Denmark." Um, but uh, the U.S. is, you know, the Euro- Europe has said that we can't do this alone. We can't help Ukraine uh, by ourselves. We do need help from the U.S. And you know, to also to point out in terms of what Ukrainians are doing, Ukrainians are trying to make their own weapons and their own ammunition right now. Um, I've you know visited factories where you know, they're working nonstop to produce mortars, to produce you know armored vehicles, anything to try to fill the gap on the on the front line. But you know that's that they need to scale up considerably to to make up the difference from the U.S. Joanna, are Ukrainians following the latest news regarding the status of U.S. aid? Oh, yeah. Everybody here talks about it. And I think everybody follows it. I went to, we were in these very small border villages near Russia uh, and everybody knew every detail. Um, yeah, they listen to the news uh, from the U.S. every day and and they know that their lawmakers, there's some Ukrainian lawmakers and some members of the government that go and lobby and try to lobby Congress and try to convince Congress that Ukraine is a righteous cause. And, uh, we, you know, we can't survive without you and we'll lose without you. But yes, everybody reads uh, the news, even, you know, we, we met a small group of uh, ladies. They have a knitting group, like a crochet group, and they, they, all, they, all, they, all, they, all, they 
all also follow the news very closely. Every morning they listen to the radio and they, they read the news and, and they knew everything about it. Alexei Navalny, Russia's most well-known opposition leader and critic of Vladimir Putin, died last week in a Russian penal colony above the Arctic Circle. He was imprisoned by Russian authorities on charges of embezzlement, contempt of court, and extremism. The White House says they have, quote, no doubt that Putin is responsible for Navalny's death. And this is what Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky had to say about his death at the Munich Security Conference over the weekend. Putin kills whoever he wants, be it an opposition leader or anyone else who seems at the target exactly to him. After the murder of Alexei Navalny, it's absurd to perceive Putin as a supposedly legitimate head of a Russian state. Joanna, what's been the response in Ukraine to the death of Navalny? Well, you know, Ukrainians have had, I would say, a mixed response or maybe largely complicated response, if I were to use a better word. Alexei Navalny is seen here as, uh, by many people, as a Russian imperialist. And so he wasn't mourned in the same way that he was mourned in the West or even by called out publicly the way President Volodymyr Zelensky just did at the Munich Security Conference. Um, They say that he had views that show that he didn't respect Ukraine's sovereignty. He made some controversial comments about Crimea. Uh, And I've heard Ukrainians also say similar things about other opposition figures in Russia, other anti-Putin activists. They say, you know, look, uh, uh, we think even these activists aren't really supportive of Ukraine. They may be anti-Putin, but they don't see them as as supporting the, the Ukrainian independence and Ukrainian sovereignty. Also, I've heard this, that Ukrainians say they don't have in room in their hearts right now for any Russians, even those who fight Putin. And um, in, a, in a kind of a controversial few comments that I heard that, you know, some Ukrainians say that Navalny's death was probably in vain because they don't believe that Russians even want democracy and that they won't fight for it. We started our conversation talking about the fall of the frontline town of Avdivka, and you shared how Ukrainians responded to that development. How is Russia framing that military game? Well, from what I, what I've been able to see, it's been a big win for Russia. There's, uh, it's we expect that. President Putin will bring it up repeatedly before the presidential elections next month. Uh, he congr- for, th- Through the Kremlin's website, he congratulated the soldiers for taking Avdivka. So, yeah, I mean, Russia sees uh, the Russian, those in, ter- in favor of this special military operation, to use Putin's language, in, in favor of this war, uh, see this as a, as a very strategic gain. And not only because it comes at an opportune time. It's also because, you know, this this the city has an important industrial base. It has a, a plant that produces this coal-based fuel called coke. Uh, and it's to them, it's just another a win over a region that they've been fighting for for 10 years, the Donetsk, the Donetsk region. So the Russians, Rush, pro-Russian military bloggers are framing this as we've got the momentum. 2024 is on our side and we're going to keep going. Joanna, briefly, what are you watching in Ukraine in the coming weeks? Um, I'm going to be watching the front line to see how the Russians are going to advance. I'm going to be watching the mood. I'm going to be watching conscription uh, because uh, Ukraine needs many, many more soldiers to fight uh, in this war. Coming up, we hear from the British ambassador to the United States about what infighting in the U.S. Congress means for global support to Ukraine. We're going to take a short break back in a moment. 
This message is brought to you by NPR sponsor, Progressive Insurance. You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options within your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Made in Cookware. Did you know that many popular dishes in Tom Colicchio's craft restaurant are made in Made in Cookware? Made in supplies chefs with high-end cookware because Made in makes exactly what demanding chefs look for. When you level up your cooking, remember what great dishes on menus worldwide have in common. They're made in Maiden. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from the 18th until the 27th. Visit MaidenCookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N Cookware.com. Joining us in studio in Washington, D.C. is Dame Karen Pierce, British Ambassador to the United States. Ambassador Pierce, welcome. Thank you very much. Good to be here. So yesterday we spoke with Carla Weber. Her son, Andrew, was an American Army veteran and West Point graduate. He volunteered to fight in Ukraine last year, and he was killed in July during a drone attack. Here's what she said about why she's speaking out on Capitol Hill, advocating for more military aid to Ukraine. If he was here, he would be doing what I'm doing, because that's what he was going to do when he got back. He was only there for what was supposed to be a very short time, and he was going to come back and figure out a way to influence the lawmakers. So when I speak, I hope I'm speaking the words that he would want me to speak, but I'm compelled because he's somewhere in the background saying, mom, mom, you know, put your big girl shoes on and go out and do this. And because that's what he did. Ambassador, how much do you think the politics here in the U.S. are affecting the war efforts in Ukraine? I don't think they're affecting the war effort. I think the Ukrainians are being very brave. Andrew was clearly very brave, and our hearts go out uh, to his family. Uh, But Ukraine needs to be able to keep going. And in that sense, uh, Congress passing the package for Ukraine, particularly the military equipment, is a vital part of Ukraine being able to push back against Russia, hang on to its territory. There's also been some back and forth recently between U.S. lawmakers and British Foreign Secretary David Cameron. In an op-ed published in The Hill last week, Cameron warned against showing, quote, the weakness displayed against Hitler in the 1930s. Republican House member Marjorie Taylor Greene had this response to Cameron's comments. Here she is speaking to a Sky News reporter. Are you an appeaser for Putin? I I think that... um I really don't care what David Cameron has to say. I think that's rude name-calling, and I don't appreciate that type of language. And David Cameron needs to worry about his own country, and frankly, he can kiss my ass. Ambassador, what do you make of the response from some members of of the GOP in the U.S. Congress? Uh, Well, I think we've always known that the Freedom Caucus, to which Marjorie Taylor Greene belongs, they've long been opposed to funding for Ukraine. But the vast majority of Republican members in the House, so that's about 75%, actually support 
funding. So we're in this rather weird limbo whereby you have the supporting Congress, you have the Senate that's passed the package, you have a majority support in the House, Republicans and Democrats, and yet they can't find a way to bring it to a successful vote. Um, This is really about American politics. I don't think it's indicative at all of American support for Ukraine. But as the Foreign Secretary said, Ukraine badly needs the military equipment that package will fund. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak visited Ukraine last month, and during that visit, he signed a new security agreement and pledged an additional $3 billion in military aid to Ukraine. What would you like to see from the U.S. government? Uh, Well, we'd like to see this package passed. I think it's important to explain that we're not relying on the U.S. alone. Obviously, the U.S. contribution is very generous. It has been very generous. It will be very generous. And US support, the equipment the US can provide is vital. Uh, We, the Brits, we've been in the forefront of training pilots, uh, providing tanks, providing long range uh, weaponry. Uh, The Europeans have been in the forefront with over $95 billion uh, for general support for Ukraine's economy. Uh, But we really do need the Americans to supply the next range of of weapons so that Ukraine can make a decisive breakthrough on the battlefield. And when the time comes for peace negotiations, which isn't yet, but when the time does come, Ukraine will be in a stronger position. What conversations are you having in the UK about the cost of this war lingering on and on and on? Again, we're reaching the two-year mark. Um, Well, within the United Kingdom, I think Prime Minister Sunak, but also the two prime ministers before him, Liz Truss and Boris Johnson, uh, were very frank with the British people uh, that the cost of supporting Ukraine, the cost of the war carrying on might be things like higher energy prices. uh, And that proved to be the case. Uh, Nevertheless, the strong support for Ukraine among ordinary people, among parliamentarians, among the media, the political class, the government, the opposition, it's still held up. This is a price, you know, everyone always thinks the Brits think about the Second World War all the time. uh, And there's some truth in that. Uh, But one benefit of it is they can see uh, this war by Putin uh, for what it really is. It's an attempt to reestablish Russian dominance over Ukraine. And as I say, it's not likely to stop there. A December poll from the Pew Research Center suggests about half, 48 percent, of Republican and Republican-leaning Americans think the U.S. is doing too much to support Ukraine. That's compared to just 16 percent of Democrats. What is your message to Americans who agree with GOP lawmakers and think that the southern U.S. border should be a funding priority, not Ukraine? That's a hard question for me as a foreign diplomat to answer, because while Ukraine is an international problem, the border is much more confined to American domestic politics. What I would say is that support for Ukraine helps America's national and international security interests. America has a primary interest in not seeing Russia be able to take back parts of Europe. Uh, America has an interest in not seeing China emboldened uh, by President Putin being seen to have a win. Uh, And America has an interest in preserving the peace in Europe uh, that America helped to create, not just after the Second World War, but if you remember in the Balkans, 
peace was brought to the Balkans because of America. Um, when the Berlin Wall came down, America helped build a Europe whole and free. Uh, so for the sake of Euro-Atlantic security, as well as for the effect it might have on China in the Indo-Pacific if Putin uh, is emboldened or seen to have a victory, I think America's national security interests are strongly engaged. But I would say Europe is helping. I think this point gets lost, to be honest, Jen. And, and give us some more context around what Europe has done up until now to support Ukraine, because I think you're, you're right. Those numbers aren't always talked about. Um, so Europe, along with the US, has passed sanctions on Russia, both on Russian oligarchs, on individuals, on Russian assets, uh, and we continue to do that. Europe, including the UK, has provided financial support to the Ukrainian economy. The European Union has just passed a package of over $60 billion that is going to help Ukraine answer the charges of corruption. We do understand that there are concerns about that. The European Union is the best-placed organisation to help Ukraine modernise its economy, uh, away from a war economy, but also to address underlying issues of reform. Uh, we, the UK, have given huge amounts of money, $3 billion in humanitarian assistance for Ukrainian refugees who've gone to the UK or other European countries. The Poles have taken about 2 million Ukrainian refugees. Uh, the EU has provided very large sums of money. I think it's over $5 billion, uh, to help refugees. And we are going to carry on providing uh, support across equipment, defence, financial support and humanitarian. What does Sunak's visit to wartime Kiev signal about the relationship between the UK and Ukraine in this moment? Um, we see Ukraine as incredibly brave, uh, as fighting not just for Ukraine, but for all those who want to push back on tyranny. You know, if there's any link with, with Hitler uh, and Nazism, it's in that Putin is copying uh, some of those tactics from 75 uh, to 80 years ago. Uh, we stand by Ukraine. It's still a very popular cause in the United Kingdom. There's a lot of bipartisan support. Uh, we ourselves have spent over $15 billion on military, humanitarian and economic assistance. And as the Prime Minister's visit showed, we'll go on doing that because this is not just about Ukraine. If Putin gets a victory in Ukraine, he's not going to stop there. Coming up, more from the ambassador about what Putin might hope to achieve in Russia's war with Ukraine. We'll be back soon. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mattress Firm. How do you sleep at night? No matter what might be keeping you up, Mattress Firm can help anyone sleep. Mattress Firm will find you the right mattress from a wide selection of top brands at every budget. Plus, if you see a lower price somewhere else, they'll match it up to 120 nights with their low price guarantee. Get matched at Mattress Firm's Memorial Day sale and sleep at night. Restrictions apply. See mattressfirm.com or store for details. I want us to listen to another clip from our conversation with Carla Weber. Again, her son Andrew is a, was a U.S. military veteran who volunteered to fight in Ukraine and was killed in July after he gave his body armor to a young Ukrainian soldier. Here's what she said about what she's asking for when it comes to U.S. military aid. What we were asking for was um, continued funding and the need for urgency. The need for urgency is uh, where all conversations started that you have to realize that thousands of people are dying. And while we're contemplating whether or not we're going to do this, people are dying. 
I can't wrap my head around it still. So at that point, we were asking for, you know, the bill to be passed and for urgency. So now we're still on the urgency part of it. There doesn't seem to be a sense of urgency. And I don't really know what to say about that. Ambassador Pierce speaks specifically to that question of urgency. Um, So the situation on the ground in Ukraine has changed since when the Russians first invaded. And in order to meet the current threat from Russia, Ukraine needs more sophisticated weapons. It needs NATO standard weapons. It needs to be trained on those weapons. And above all, it needs more powerful, longer range weapons. We can help with the training. We've trained over 30,000 Ukrainian pilots. Uh, The Dutch and the the Danes can help with the actual aeroplanes with F-16s. But we really need America to supply the sort of long-range weapons uh, that America has. These accurate weapons have helped Ukraine make a decisive push in the Black Sea, uh, pushing the Russians 300 kilometres away from Ukrainian ports and allowing the grain, the food initiative, to get back on track. Um, we will go on supplying these these weapons, but we need America too, which is why we need the funding. The longer those weapons aren't supplied, the easier it is, or the hard. I put it the other way around, to be honest, the harder it is for Ukraine to keep on top of the type of fighting there is on the ground at the moment. We also heard this from Jeff in Syracuse, New York, who emails, I don't think anyone is being realistic concerning the war. Unless the Ukrainians are given the tools and permission to go into Russian territory, in other words, create an offensive war, they will never defeat Russia. How does the ambassador feel about this? I think it's a very good question. It gives me an opportunity to set out that it is a difficult situation uh, because nobody, including President Zelensky, wants the Ukrainians to actually get into a territorial war on Russian territory. This is not about bringing down the Russian regime. This is all about defending Ukraine. Uh, But his point is well taken because it's defending Ukraine uh, with parameters. Uh, An all-out war isn't like that. So it is difficult for the Ukrainians, but it is absolutely the reason why they need the equipment like long-range fires that America can provide because they are fighting an unusual war in that it is wholly defensive. Uh, And we have said that, President Biden has said that, NATO is not going to go and fight Russia, but what we are going to do is support Ukraine to defend her territory and the equipment that's part of the congressional package is critical to that point. We should note in an interview with Radio Liberty on Wednesday, Secretary General of NATO, Jens Stoltenberg, said that when Ukraine receives F-16 fighter jets from allies, it will have the right to self-defense, including the ability to strike legitimate Russian military targets outside of Ukrainian territory. What change do you think that that statement marks in in this conflict? Um, I think it's a recognition that if you have, for the sake of argument, a Russian missile battery stationed on the territory of Russia, uh, but hitting Ukrainian cities, then in self-defense, the Ukrainians will be able to go and strike that missile battery uh, using the F-16s, which will give them the capability to do so. I don't think it's the same as Jeff's question, uh, which was all about should you carry the fight 
onto Russian territory and fight Russians. Uh, that's the bit that, that we don't support and, in fact, very few people uh, support. But the ability of Ukraine to carry out legitimate self-defence, which is authorised under the UN Charter, uh, yes, we support that. New research published ahead of the Munich Security Conference found that Germans now view issues like migration and uh, the threat from radical Islam as more immediate concerns than Russia. Help us understand how reflective you think this is of public sentiment in Europe more broadly. Um, I think in Europe, as in the U.S., migration is one of those issues that is really cutting through uh, at the moment uh, and will be an issue in this year's elections for a good many countries, and there'll be elections in Europe and and the U.K., Um, But I think most people who think about international security uh, do think about the threat from Russia. Since the 1990s, uh, Europe has lived in peace, uh, a Europe whole and free, the bringing down of the Berlin Wall, uh, the disintegration of the Soviet Union. These were things that brought massive benefit to ordinary people right the way across Europe, including in Russia. Uh, And now we're going back to an earlier, nastier Age. You know, Putin set out to recreate the Russian Empire and has ended up re-establishing the Soviet economy. This is a crazy uh, trajectory. And if I sat in the Kremlin, I really would worry about the profit and loss that this war has brought. You know, not only is the economy in bad shape, the Russian fighting capabilities Uh, have been decimated. Uh, Russian equipment has been shown on the world stage to be defective. Uh, And Russia has brought NATO closer to its borders. In what universe does Putin think this is sensible? We'll leave our conversation there. Today's producer was Anna Casey. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk more soon. This is 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Homes.com. What kind of programs does this school have? How are the test scores? These are all things parents ask when they home shop. That's why each listing on Homes.com includes extensive reports on local schools. Homes.com. We've done your homework. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Progressive Insurance, where drivers who switch could save hundreds on car insurance. Get your quote at Progressive.com today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. This message comes from Wired. On Wired Politics Lab, you will be guided through the exciting, challenging, and sometimes entertaining vortex of Internet extremism, conspiracies, and disinformation. Listen to Wired Politics Lab wherever you get your podcasts.